Welcome to season three of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, a podcast about the Bay Area, technology, and culture. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yasha Kekis-Wolf. Sunil, if I say Buster or Gary, what do you think about? I think about television. I kind of think about television, too. We have a pretty cool guest on today, somebody who you might think about from television. Tony Hale is really um, a great American television actor. I mean, he's a multiple-time Emmy Award winner, I believe. Don't don't fact-check that. But he's definitely won at least one. And what I remember him for, I just have such a fond memory of him on Arrested Development, which was really the first show that I ever binge-watched. Yeah, I, you know, I remembered... Tony immediately as a TV star because of binge watching Arrested Development. I also remember Veep, but I was introduced to Tony recently when he was in San Francisco acting in a play. And I thought that was pretty fascinating to think about, like, how do you have to consider what you do differently if you're going to do what you do well, but do it in completely different mediums? It's a little bit like being in a startup. This was a really surprising interview because you mentioned the play thing. Well, the reason he did the play was, uh, you know, to to talk and deal with some of his struggles with anxiety, which you wouldn't expect of a, of a screen actor. But this is a really interesting interview for those interested in, in subjects around mental health as well. We've hit on anxiety a little bit with a handful of our guests over the course of the last couple of years, but I don't think I've heard such a salient point of view on the way that we, one, should be talking about anxiety, and two, uh, some of the tools to actually deal with it. I really enjoyed this conversation a lot. We uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode. Tony, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, did you grow up in San Francisco? Are you a San Francisco native? No, I grew up in Florida. I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida. Well, actually, from seventh grade through high school, I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida. My dad was in the Army, and he retired in Tallahassee. And then I, I was in San Francisco from the day after Christmas this year until, like, February 17th, doing a play at the American Conservatory Theater. So you're kind of like a San Francisco native now. Where do you call home today? Uh, I live in Los Angeles. Yeah. Do you like uh, L.A. more than you like San Francisco? Uh, I mean, L.A. is home to me, but I really did enjoy San Francisco. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it a lot. So Los Angeles. I didn't Angeles. tour around, though. I was... by, by the way, sorry, and Tony, I apologize for interrupting you. Normally we do these live, and this is only our second phone interview, and so I don't have the benefit oh, sure. of being able to you know, look you in the eyes like I am Yasha right now. And it's like uncomfortably <laughs> staring at me. Oh, that's fine. Okay, guys. Get a room. Um, when, when no, go ahead, because I hear what you're saying. It's hard because we can't see each other nonverbal when we want to say something. So it's tricky. It's tricky, but, uh, but why don't you go ahead and finish your thought, and then I'll ask a question. <clears throat> um, I, this, is what, <laughs> this is my 40-something-year-old brain. I forgot what I was going to say. So, so you go ahead. Los Angeles. Okay. Los Angeles is too broad. Where in Los Angeles do you live right now? I live in Studio City. Studio City. Okay. All right. So yeah. uh, do you uh, do you make it east of La Cienega much or what's your, you know, what? We don't, we actually don't go to the, well, east, we don't go to the west side much because it's, it's, the traffic is so tricky and it takes a good 45 minutes to an hour just to go to the west side or visit somebody. And it's, um, so that's, we kind of stay on the east side. We're kind of official east siders. Okay, got it. 
What what happened to you in in your childhood in Florida as you thought about the West Coast, or actually did you think about the West Coast? Were you ever like, I I think I'm going to live in California? I never thought that. I when I was so I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida. I went to college in in Birmingham, Alabama. To the, I went to the school called Samford University, and then and then after that. I went back home to do a job and then I moved to New York in 95 and really thought that I would just kind of stay in New York. I'd always kind of wanted to visit LA, but it was kind of intimidating or California in general was kind of intimidating. And then that's when Arrested Development came along and that brought me to Los Angeles. So I felt like I had a reason to come to Los Angeles. So that was good. Got it. And now I love it. And, and yeah. And then of course, you know, I have fond memories of of Arrested Development. You know, when I think of Arrested Development, I actually think that that was the first show that I that I binge watched. I mean, it was through DVDs at the time. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But uh, but if I if I really think about binge watching, that was really one of the binge worthy um, TV shows. And now, kind of looking back at it, of course, Netflix has you know re- revived it nicely. What just what are your thoughts and reflections on being a part of that? Um, uh, well, I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts and reflections about being on Arrested Development. One, you, you, you mentioned the binge watching from the DVDs. That's really how it, how it kind of gained popularity because it was when Arrested Development started, it was, it wasn't a very, our ratings were never good. It was not a very popular show. And I think a lot of it had to do with because it was a very dense show. There was a lot of material, a lot of jokes in each episode and you really had to pay attention. And that's why I think the popularity grew when DVDs came out because people could rewatch it and catch the jokes that they met. So I think that's what kind of had it, how it kind of caught on. And to this day, I've only seen each episode probably once or twice. And to this day, there's so many jokes that I still don't even know about. And people come up to me like, Oh, remember this time when so-and-so this happened? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but that sounds really funny. (laughs) So I, I, there's so many, there's so many things that I already missed. Um, but Arrested was a, was a really, it was a great experience. That was my very first, cause I'd done commercials maybe mainly in New York and that was kind of my first big TV gig. Um, and it was both exciting and daunting at the same time. Is that the difference between being an actor on the East coast and the West coast? Is it about maybe theater and commercials on the East coast and television and movies on the West coast? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, TV's kind of shot kind of everywhere, but since I had been doing commercials a long time in New York, you, I kind of got put into a category of just a commercial actor. So it was, I had a very difficult time finding an agent or a manager to represent me to send me out for TV and film stuff. And then finally I found somebody who could send me out, and then a year later is when the arrested thing came along. But it was really kind of people saw me as like, the quirky guy who's not all there. That was kind of my description, which, by the way, still has not, still remains. <laughs> that hasn't changed. Hey, if it brings, all, if it brings all the Emmys, you know, that's... Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. But it was like in commercials, I was definitely like, I think I was described as like a dumber David Schwimmer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was kind of Wait a, a second. Is David Schwimmer talking. smart? I, <laughs> is I was, but I was even a dumber version of that. <laughs> No, 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 you're you're, you're incredible. It's, it takes it takes genius to act like you know an everyman. That's what I will say. So I think you're actually a genius, and you're you're being modest. Oh, nice. Well, David, I don't know David. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. But we definitely had that both like wide-eyed, dumb type, and then I was like even dumber of a type. 
<clears throat> you know, and I have I have so so many questions about. I mean, of course, Arrested Development and V. Yeah. Two of the really binge worthy shows, and I think about. You know, we we often hear in Silicon Valley talk about future of TV, this and that, and we never ask the people who are actually in the shows what they think. We ask technologists, and so mm-hmm. here we are sitting with an Emmy Award winning actor. What do, what do you think the future of TV is? How does this whole Netflix thing play out in streaming wars? Yeah, I think um, honestly, I feel like we're in a season right now where people are just still trying to figure it out. It's- the whole streaming thing is still very new. Like they don't even know how, I mean, everybody's just obviously jumping on the bandwagon, getting their own streaming service. But I still think it's very, very fresh. The, the, the bonus of it all is, you know, there used to be five top networks that had a pilot season and those were, that's all the, that's all where the material was. And now in addition to cable, having so many more channels, now there's all these streaming services. So there's a lot of different, categories of work that you can sign up for and opportunities. So I think that, I think the field is much larger and like different kind of comic tastes and genres and all that kind of stuff. When I, so uh, I curious to, to, to dig into that a little bit more. I mean, so we had audio, you know, 10 years ago, we had people pirating stuff, you know, from Napster, I guess that was longer. It was like 17 years ago, call it. Um, and, Eventually, everybody decided, okay, you know what? Actually, now that there's Spotify and a couple things, it's worth paying the $10 a month for so I don't get, you know, sued um, Mm -hmm. by the R. And then everybody thought YouTube was going to be the thing and we're going to discover undiscovered talent, et cetera. But has ultimately what's happened, you know, is we're back to the same state, meaning, you know, it's just, it's really expensive production and it's just the the distribution mechanism has changed. Like, is there any chance for new talent to break in Tony or is it, is it really just the same thing again? Um, do you mean new talent? Um, when you say new talent to break in new technology talent or. I mean, I mean, Wait, uh, actors, actresses like to break into the, to the industry, get your own Netflix show or, or, or get oh, visibility. Is it, is it really possible? Yeah. I see. My thing is, I actually, I I think it's honestly more possible because there's so many different avenues and opportunities to showcase work. So if somebody has a really popular following on, say, YouTube or something like that, then that then some streaming services sees that and gives them. That's happened actually many times where they give them in their own talk show or they give them their own scripted show. So it's like these these platforms like a YouTube where you get your name out there and start doing your work. I didn't have when I was starting out in New York, we didn't have any of the digital platforms. We had nothing digital. So it was all about when I was trying to get my name out there, we would just do theatrical showcases in New York and agents would come and watch us and we would hope that they would bring us into their office and start sending us out for commercials. And then you'd have you'd put your audition on a VHS tape and you'd send it out to LA. I mean, it was so different. Now the access I feel is even more of an opportunity for, for people who haven't got a platform yet to get out there. Honestly, I think. Is the talent level the same? Is it better now? Maybe than from 10 years ago? Um, <laughs> I guess, is that too, is that pointed? That's super pointed. No, it's not pointed. I think it's, I don't really, it's hard. It's a hard question to ask. Cause I think it's honestly, I think it's always been a mixed bag. Mm. Um, you know, people sometimes, um, I mean, it's also super subjective, but I think it's always a mixed bag of kind of like how people got something and 
if they knew somebody or if it, their, their talent really stood out. Um, I think something that's actually really, really good and there's really talent there, I think that typically always rises to the surface. Um, but then again, there's other stories where somebody really talented has a really hard time getting cut. I, it's always, I think it's just all over the place. Honestly. It's a mixed bag. Do we yet have an example of a, of a YouTube star getting making it all the way to a big-time action movie or something like that in a main role? I don't I know. Sunil, you're I kind don't of a know. I don't big know. fan of the Paul brothers, right? Oh, yeah. Big, big <laughs> fan. Big fan of those guys. <laughs> Jerks. Well, there's a, there's, I feel like there's, um, there's, a, isn't there, there's a girl who's I did her show on E. I think she's on E now. Lily uh, Singh has done really well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so she was yeah, in a Super Bowl commercial, etc. But, you know, it, 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 like there's almost a ceiling, it feels like, where I, well, I, I mean, it's only a matter of time. To your point, it's probably right where one of these people will break out and be star of the next Will Smith or something like that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Maybe a dish of gears a little bit. I know that um, we're talking about television and technology on television, maybe even movies to an extent there. But you were just in San Francisco for a couple of months doing a play. And that feels yeah. kind of very different from what you've been doing before. And even the access to content that we've just been talking about. Like, what, What's the thought process for you as you decide to do a play? And what's it like doing a play compared to a TV show? Yeah, uh, terrifying. <laughs> um, but it's, um, well, the reason I did it is I've, I've struggled with anxiety for most of my life. And I've had a lot of anxiety about getting back on stage. Um, I've had a lot of anxiety with that. And so... This I've been kind of in this season. This is kind of a long story, but I'll make it short. Speaking to Arrested Development, I went through this season with Arrested Development where it was my dream in life to get a sitcom. I got the sitcom. It didn't satisfy me the way I thought it was going to satisfy me because most of my life I had not been present. And I'd looked to this sitcom as like the big thing that's going to fix everything. And I got it and it didn't satisfy me and it scared me. And the truth is, if you're not practicing contentment where you are, you're not going to be content when you get what you want. And so it took me from that experience, it took me on this whole season of really trying to be present and practicing contentment. And through this season, there's this quote that says, you have to wake yourself up a hundred times a day to where you are. And so I felt like through therapy and just through a lot of my own personal stuff, I began to wake, trying to wake myself up to just the everyday and then I really wanted to get back to theater and this play came across. My agents told me about it and it was called Wakey Wakey <laughs> and it was by Will Eno and it was a one man play. And I was like, Oh hell, a one man play. That sounds terrifying. But I started reading and the play is really a lot about waking yourself up to life and um, having times of gratitude and all this kind of stuff. And it just felt like such a perfect storm of the season life that I was in wanting to get back to theater meeting Pam McKinnon and Will Eno and all these guys, Annie Kaufman, and just they're such great people. And I was like, you know what? I just feel like this is something, this is a step I need to take. And it scared the absolute shit out of me. But I walked through it. And I, I'm incredibly, incredibly glad I did it. It's interesting. Uh, I, I didn't expect the conversation to take this turn, but we'll, we'll, we'll ask about this a little bit more. You know, I, I too, I mean, I've written about this. I also... Uh, had had definitely had issues with anxiety and anxiety attacks, mm -hmm. et cetera, particularly sure. a few years ago when I was kind of a founder of a company. But uh, it is pretty incredible what kind of impact that has in your life. I want to go through your your season, though, of uh, of being more, you know, kind of in the moment because yeah. I, I haven't gotten there yet. What's your what's your sure. advice to, you know, people who <clears throat> people who are going through anxiety stuff? 
Yeah. I love talking about it. I think it's, um, <clears throat> it's something that I think I probably talk about it so much because I still, it's a daily choice that I, I struggle with, but it's, I went, I did something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a lot of where for so many years, I felt like I was a victim to my thoughts and my feelings. And I would have this just tsunami of thoughts and feelings. I just felt like I was drowning. And through this therapy, it really talked a lot about, you know, you just kind of placing these thoughts and feelings outside of yourself and not giving them as much power. Meaning it's like you watch thoughts and feelings like you do cars on a highway where it's like, oh yeah, there's that thought that I'm never going to work again. Or there's that feeling that, you know, I'm terrified of this or whatever. And you just kind of watching these thoughts and these feelings come and go because that's what they do. Even though it feels like they're going to stick around forever, they don't. So you can kind of acknowledge that, oh yeah, this is coming, this is going, and not so much identifying with them that they're, that they're necessarily a part of you, if that makes sense. But also not shaming yourself for it. Like, oh, I can't believe I'm thinking that. I can't believe I'm feeling that. It's like, this stuff comes and go. It doesn't identify who you are, but you can just acknowledge their presence and then keep walking. And so that had a lot to do with kind of my journey. But like tools that I would use, which I use all, which I continue to use to this day is like, you know, activating the senses. Like when I'm kind of feeling, when I'm feeling anxious, I'm typically not in my body. I'm typically somewhere else in a narrative in my head. And so I would find myself like, okay, what do I smell? What am I touching? Or what can I touch? Um, what do I, what am I tasting? And it's like just kind of grounding your body in those things. So I touch the table around me. I, what am I smelling right now? And then little things like that that would help me kind of get more grounded. Um, there was another one where if I ever found myself living in the what if, like what if this happens, what if this happens, what if this happens? And it's like, just say not now. And so I would, I would just go around many times and just say not now, not now. And even right now, I'd be like, not now, I'm doing this podcast. That's what I'm doing right now. It is pretty, um, uh, pretty incredible. I mean, you know, someone who's achieved as much as you and, um, you know, to like, tying it back to Silicon Valley uh, life, I think one thing that doesn't make anxiety much easier these days is, you know, social media, of course. And my theory on that is just, it's just so easy to benchmark yourself against someone who's slightly better and, oh, of course, and, yeah. uh, and wonder, well, and that's what, that's what, sorry, that's what, that's what's bad. I didn't let you finish. You go ahead. Sorry. No, no, right no, 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 no. You were, you were, you were getting right into it, but yeah, it's uh, you can create this distortion field so easily that you're, you're not doing well because it appears as if someone else is doing well. Yeah. And it's like on Instagram, it's just one for me, it can become one big comparison game, you know, and I, and I, it's tricky and I have to take, um, my wife, when I was in San Francisco, she has a code on my phone and my iPad where she, I, she, I remove the browser and then I take off the app store. So I can't download Instagram or Twitter and I take off the browser and it sounds crazy, but I feel like those two months and I even do it when I'm on jobs or if I'm at home and I need to focus, it's, it's amazing how, you think you can't live without it, but you really can. And I just kind of found myself being a lot more in the space and not kind of, I don't know, just in other places. Um, Cause that comparison game really can very easily kick in for me. Have you heard this? I've heard this story that um, it used to be, I don't know if it's still happening, but kids, college students were on Instagram and they were changing, they were changing schools 
because they thought their friends on Instagram were having more fun than they were. That's, I mean, that, that doesn't shock me at all. Um, I, uh, um, so I, I gave a, I gave a speech at a, a really what's known to be a very, very competitive high school locally, uh, here in the Bay area about, mm-hmm. about the subject. And one thing that I noticed was happening was students were actually sharing their college admissions letters, acceptance letters on Instagram. And so, you know, you, you find out that your friend gets into to Berkeley and you get the rejection letter. I mean, not only do you have to live through the <laughs> the initial rejection, you have to live through the the Instagram posts of people who, who did get in. It's horrifying. Yeah. And I tell you, me, um, <clears throat> there's two things that I thought about that I want to make sure I remember. But one is um, kids nowadays, like we didn't have this when we were kids. And it's also like kids seeing other kids at parties that they weren't invited to. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know if my friends were at parties that I wasn't invited to. I was just kind of in a, I just thought I was doing fine. But um, you can see all these pictures like, oh, I wasn't invited to that. I wasn't invited. How hard that is. I mean, especially if you're in middle school or something and you're in such a vulnerable place. We see that a ton at our um, house, Tony. Like, are are the snap maps where our kids will see that a couple of their friends oh, are in a different location, and gosh. you know, we could be at a practice where there's something that's very focused for one of our kids. Yet they're like, "Well, why am I not at this other thing?" And we're like, "Well, you know, because you're at this practice. That's why, and yeah. that's not a big deal." But the <laughs> the FOMO and anxiety kind of really builds up a lot. I'm super curious about the it, the phone thing, though. So, like, what what do you do during the day if you're not looking at your phone all the time? I know, I know. Um, I would, um, well, I would, this sounds really, I would read, I would read. And I, I know that sounds very basic, but I don't necessarily like to read. I'm not a big reader, but I would just kind of force myself to sit and read. And I didn't like read the whole time, but I would just kind of sit there. And then I would also, um, rather than getting on a browser or getting on Twitter, Instagram, I would FaceTime my wife and my daughter back home and we'd chat, or I'd turn on the TV and look at something on Netflix. Or actually, um, I'd go out a lot rather than staying back in the apartment. Like you and I, Joshua, we would go out and grab dinner um, or something like that. It was just like I would activate some, some other way. I just think we've all gotten very, me included, very used to activating just by the phone activating us rather than us activating ourselves other places. What did you think of San Francisco being active and kind of awake and aware of what's going on? So you're here for two months. That's a long time. Yeah, I was there. The weird thing is, I was so nervous <laughs> about this play. Um, I would just kind of, and that is another thing I would do when I would come back tomorrow. I would just drill my lines in my head. I would just, I would just, I would be talking to myself constantly in my apartment, just going over these lines because I was so terrified I was going to get on stage and everything was going to go blank. Um, but I didn't really go out much. I mean, you and I went out to dinner a couple times, but. My brother and my sister came and visited and watched, came to see the play. And then we went to um, uh, Fort Mason. Is that what it's called? Uh-huh. Fort Mason, right? Yeah. Yeah. We went to Fort Mason. I had been there a month and a half, never been. Never been. And I just, I don't know why, but it was so beautiful. We went to that Greens restaurant, which was great. And it's like, I never really explored. And I think it's just because I was in kind of this, a little bit of a nervous bubble with this play. So I didn't really see much. Hmm. I love the ferry building. I walked down there a few times, but that's about it. You, when I went to see Harry Potter, I really liked Harry Potter. I saw both of the parts. That's a fun show. You know, so though really you fun. turn off 
Instagram. By the way, I loved every part of that except for as the kind of thing I would do. I would not go out much in in new cities except I'm not a big greens guy. I think greens is a little bit overrated. Well, that's because you eat Taco Bell every day. <laughs> that's true. It's hard to go vegetarian nice. after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so, so what's what's really interesting though is though you turn off Instagram, you know, you have a different problem, which is other people aren't turning off Instagram. Therefore, they know who you are. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very curious from the perspective of someone who's, you know, a, a celebrity in this day and age. I mean, you had the mm-hmm. arrested development phase, and that wasn't so much when social media was on fire. That was pre-Twitter really right. taking off and everything. And now you had Veep, which is, you know, constant social media interaction with celebrities. How mm-hmm. How is that changed you know how people interact with you um i mean i don't really it's not, it's not that i think people are i mean typically very are pretty kind like i don't i don't um i don't know i mean i probably should respond more and like things more um but i know that if i get on it too much it just becomes this dumpster dive of just reading a lot of stuff and that just fills my head and it just kind of, I don't know, it's a lot. So I'm probably not on it. I should probably be on it a little more than I am. But you're benchmarking. um, You don't, don't, you don't have to, you don't have to compare yourself to anyone. (laughs) What are you doing? You're not, uh, you're not, you're not Chrissy Teigen. What, what's going on here? I mean, I mean, I, and I, I give, you know, props to people who can, I mean, they really put a lot of time into, into content on social media, um, it, it can become very, very stressful to me a little bit, honestly. Um, yeah. But people like when they come up, I, I, I actually enjoy if somebody comes up and they're a fan of Arrested Development or something, I actually really, I love what they have to say because I genuinely don't remember much about the show. And so they're like, remember this and that? And I genuinely, I want to hear the stories because I have no recollection of the jokes that they're talking about. <laughs> Quick arrested development pathetic. aside, let's talk about Michael Sarah for just a second. I was a big yeah, Michael Sarah guy, super bad, yeah. everything. I mean, he looked like he yeah. was he was on the rise. But it seems like he he didn't reach where I thought he'd hit. Why why do you think that is? I honestly think that was his choice. Um, I think I don't know this for a fact, but I think one thing that people um, fame is and I'll go off on a whole tangent about this, but it can be very, very isolating. And um, I think the base of when I think everybody in life wants to be known. I really think they want to be known, but then they look at fame as the ultimate being known. But actually I think it's the opposite because you, you take somebody in Alabama who works at the mall, everything given to them, said to them, encouraged them, whatever it's all, there's no strings attached. Typically you take someone who's famous, really famous, Everything said to them, given to them, encouraged, there's, there's typically strings attached. Or if there's not strings attached, the celebrity thinks there might be strings attached. So actually, I would say the person working in the mall in Alabama is more known than someone, the huge celebrity. Interesting. And so it's a, it, can, it can be a very, very isolating thing. And someone like Michael Sarah, who he, you know, he, got, he got fame very early. And yes, he had a lot of movies. And I think it was his choice to not uh, possibly, I haven't talked to him in a while, but possibly to not kind of 
continue on that path because it can be, and he wanted to do his own projects. He wanted to do independent films and all this kind of stuff. It can be, it can be a very, very toxic path, you know, and someone, and, you know, even in Silicon Valley, um, people reach such high success and the thing, and this isn't about Michael, this is just people who possibly reach these kind of success. The thing is when you reach these kind of big dreams or the success, you also see behind the curtain of like, holy shit, it's never enough. It's never going to be enough if I don't begin to, and I can only speak for myself, is I got my dream and it didn't, it wasn't enough. It didn't feel like enough. And the fact is if I don't begin to find as much joy and as much of a rush in the everyday, which I think is a lifelong process, it's never going to be, the next thing is never going to be enough. Yeah, it's sort of not. like Yasha. I, I think he's got, Ten billion dollars in Bitcoin, never enough. Stashed away know. somewhere. It's just not, <laughs> never enough. He's like two billion. I remember wasn't um. Uh, I think it was uh, what's his name, Jim Carrey. He was in the Golden Globes once, and he had he was presenting to something. I hope I'm getting this right. He was presenting something, and he made it. He got up there and he said, "I have two Golden Globes, but a third is going to be enough." <laughs> and then it kind of then it kind of panned to the audience and some people were laughing and you could see in other people's eyes they were like it will be <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's just that constant reminder that it's not it's just not going to be and you and to, for me and I'm speaking for myself that's why that daily practice of me finding the as much value as much worth as much joy and purpose in taking my daughter to school, going to the grocery store, living the mundane everyday life, that's kind of my goal. If I can get to the end of my life and that has as much value and joy as these mountaintop experiences, then I feel like I have achieved something. Can I try to take the other side of that just for a second? Just for a second here. Please, just, please. Let me just test your mind, the strength of your will here. Um, <laughs> you, uh, I don't know. You get uh, offered a role tomorrow by your agent. You're starring opposite Meryl Streep. This thing is a surefire Academy Award winner, and it's going to take you know year of your life. Um, it's going to be stressful as hell. You're going to go through an insane levels of anxiety. You're going to take that. I, I I have a feeling you're going to take that. Let me not put words in your mouth, but let's just say it's going to be painful. Um, I w okay, to break that down even more, and this is where my wife has been such a gift. There, it hasn't been to that level, but there, I have had opportunities, not like that, but that have offered tremendous amounts of money, tremendous commitments like that, that I have turned down. And I remember my wife saying to me before I turned it down, because we were in a place where we really did need the money, and we really did need the gig. And she says, you know what? No amount of money is worth your peace of mind and our peace of mind. And I've never forgotten that. And that's it's a, very true. Now, keep in mind, it's not lovely. that it's, it's also, it's all, keep in mind, it's also not that it's not tough. <laughs> I mean, it's a very, those are very, very hard decisions to make. And I haven't always made the right decision. But when I can make a grounded, healthy decision like that, that kind of reminder is really valuable to me. That's that sounds super enlightened. You know, Tony, we're getting close to the end of the half hour, and um, I wanted to ask you, in, especially in this context, how do you think about what you're going to do next? And then we want to end on one last question, which I'll tease to you so that you can think about it a little bit. 
even though you don't have any social networks on your phone, we're curious where you spend your time and if you could make a recommendation to the listeners of, of who might be interesting to follow. But first, um, how do you think about what you're going to do next and have you made any decisions? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm really thankful. It just came out. I'm doing this um, Hulu show called The Mysterious Benedict Society. And um, it's based on this awesome children's novel called The Mysterious Benedict Society. And I'm going to be playing Benedict. He's kind of this wealthy benefactor that sends these kids out on these secret missions. So I'm really pumped about that. Um, I think that's kind of like, and I do this, <laughs> I love that you say the next thing because I do this cartoon called Archibald's Next Big Thing based on this children's book I did, which came from my experience on Arrested Development where I was always, I was still looking to the next thing and missing where I was. And so I think I try, I mean, of course, obviously to, I want to work and keep paying the bills. Um, but any, I'm not a big five-year planner or like a, and again, it's not that, oh God, I'm all over the map, but it's not, it's not that dreaming or having goals is wrong. But I think for a long season of my life, I think I had the idea in my head that when I get here, that will give me value. Because the business is very much like you, you get, you get this, you get value. This happens to you, you get value. And the fact of the matter is your value, my value stays the exact same before and after success. And the, how known you are is the most known you're ever going to need right now. <laughs> God, now I'm turning into like some. <laughs> <laughs> That's very zen. I, I'm going to stop. No, no, I like it. I'm going to stop. I, I'm gonna I like stop. it. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. This is getting ridiculous. Now no, I'm no, turning. No. This is now I'm getting on a soapbox. This is no. This is really good. I I I enjoy it. I know our listeners well. Did by the way, what strings did Yasha attach to this conversation? Because there's always strings attached, <laughs> especially oh, when I'm sitting of a call. Please. Yeah, there's a lot. Of you strings. do not want to now. <laughs> I have a bonus question, um, which I'm not going to give you time to prep for. So, since we are a Silicon Valley podcast, what? Yeah, you, you're obviously not a social media guy right now, but I mean, I do. I I do go off and on, like I. Cause I haven't, I'm not at home now. So I'll have, I'll have it on my phone. Actually, it's not on my phone now, but I'll look at my wife's phone <laughs> if I'm curious about something. And I really like following, um, uh, and she kind of helps me post cause you, you know how you can do two accounts on one account. Um, but, um, Celeste Barber is someone I really enjoy following cause she's, she takes these really, these videos and these photos of models and stuff and she reenacts them. And it's just, she makes me, she's very funny. Anyway. Well, the, the the bonus question I was going to ask you is: Is there a tech company that's sort of, I don't know, um, off the fringe or a little bit, a little bit away from mainstream, like Uber or whatever, just that you interact with it on a somewhat regular basis, or a startup that you heard of that, whoa, like that's pretty cool what they're doing there. Mm. Is there any Ooh. is there anything like that in your life that you I don't know you read a news story about or you interact with that you that you're like, whoa, that's that's really cool what's happening. Um, oh, dang it. Um, oh, I love that question. Um, cause I love to like, if there's anything that I did find this, <laughs> I did find this one. It's called, um, <laughs> it's called Bible map. And I found it interesting cause I'm, I like history. And when there's like a place in the Bible or something, you can click on it and it shows all of this, it shows like a map to the place. And then it also shows, um, like, uh, 
artifacts and stuff found there. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of a random one. Well, that's kind of the beauty of all the stuff that happens around in the technology world, is that there are these kind of micro products that serve a very specific yeah. need, and when we find them, they add value to our life, and that's that's ultimately yeah, what yeah, we yeah. all care about. Tony, this has been yeah. awesome. I uh, really appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing um, with us today about anxiety, and, and I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much for being here. Well, thanks for having me, guys. You're great, and have severe value. <laughs> severe is probably not the right way. True, lar- true, um, Oh, what's the right word? Anyways, you can cut it off now. Can you uh, end your social media hiatus to share this episode when, uh, you know, is it, I don't know if you're going to do that for us, but we would love that. Right. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Thanks a ton for being here. We appreciate it. So, Neil, one of the things that uh, I have appreciated about you from kind of the time that I met you, but it's really shown up a lot as we've been doing these podcasts, is that you're really open about how you kind of deal with anxiety a lot. I think it, I've always thought it was really brave. I was really uh, touched today by the conversation and how you and Tony really were sharing a lot about the things that you deal with and and really some tools to actually start to um, work through anxiety. Well, this was a rare uh, phone interview for us, and I've never met Tony in person. I know you've developed a good uh, friendship with him, but just the fact that we established that connection over the phone um, really, to me, indicates what kind of guy he is. And he's just a a good person, and I, I appreciated his transparency. Yeah, I, I hope that little conversations like this in the audience, the people that listen to a podcast like this who hear somebody who's had a lot of professional success share some of the things that they struggle with, and, and I think a really practical and positive way to deal with it, um, I hope is part of the way that we start to make a bigger impact on uh, the topic of mental health. We, we hope you enjoyed the episode, uh, and uh, we hear that Tony might come back for a live event at some point. I mean, we're pitching it hard, so we'll see if we can get him back up here. If you enjoyed this episode and the podcast in general, what we would love for you to do is hop onto the channel that you found us in, leave us a comment, and rate us five stars. What it does for us is it helps more and more people find the podcast. Thanks for joining us today.